Welcome to the Project Shackbox podcast. I'm Jesse Spector, the national baseball writer for Sporting News, and this is a baseball card podcast that is not really about baseball cards, and today not entirely about baseball. Get to that a little bit later. Uh, I will tell you that you can find this show on iTunes, and I hope that you will subscribe and rate and review. If you can you know, leave, leave a review, that would be helpful as far as getting other people to find this, because... That's how they run their stuff, and you know that's that's how it all works. And if you want to follow along to a visual guide of the cards as we go, it's projectshackbox.tumblr.com. The Twitter feed is at Project Shackbox. And the guest today, as you can tell from the title of the episode, is uh, J.R. Lynn. J.R. is from the Nashville scene and the Nashville Post, and generally a man about Nashville. He introduced me to Hot Chicken. <laughs> and I thank him eternally for that And uh, maybe we'll talk a little bit about hot chicken as we go here But first we will say hello to JR JR, how you doing? I'm good, man It is a, a gorgeous June Saturday here in Nashville uh, It is not too hot and the humidity is low, which is unusual But uh, I am not complaining Yeah. Uh, so this is Saturday that we are recording This will go up on Tuesday, so... Do you have anything to say to future selves? <laughs> uh, well, I, you know, I I can't, since I'm talking into the future, I guess I can't ruin money in the bank for future me, because he will have already seen it, right? Uh, I suppose so. We don't know <laughs> what will happen between <laughs> now and Tuesday. That is, uh, that is something we won't, we won't know that. We won't know what happens in the NBA Finals. We won't know... Uh, how we have dealt with those two things happening simultaneously. And uh, we can only hope for the best. And you know, Tuesday Us will be happy no matter what, I'm sure, with uh, with how things have gone down. Because we don't really have <laughs> tremendous rooting interest. Unless we do. Maybe you do. I don't know. I'm, I'm speaking only for myself. Uh, well, you know, I was actually a, uh, a Warriors fan as a kid. Um, I liked Chris Mullen and... Uh, Tim Hardaway and, and that whole group of guys the, the run early, TMC yeah run TMC with the the sort of proto Nelly Ball teams um, but uh, you know proximity and and some other things of and ease of watching them on television has has made me more of a Grizzlies fan recently um, but uh, I do I do enjoy watching the Warriors that says uh, it they are a little Nelly ballish. Uh, they play better yeah. defense than those teams. But. <laughs> Never seen any team that can shoot like them. And, yeah, you know, I I will be happy. Today's Saturday. This goes up on Tuesday. Come Tuesday, I will be happy no matter who has won the NBA title because yeah, it'll either be, you know, the Warriors completing the best season of all time, or Cleveland finally wins something. Yeah, and uh, and I should say I I'm not one of these people who thinks you have to choose between Curry and LeBron. I I, I think LeBron James is an incredible player, and uh, yeah. and I love watching yeah. him play. So I'm, I think I'm like you. I'm, it's been it's been a good series, and I hope the conclusion is as good, uh, you know, as the rest of them. Although you know, a lot of the games have not been really that great, even though it's gone seven. Yeah, a lot of which, the games have been terrible. Which reminds me a lot of the Royals-Giants uh, series a couple of years ago, 
where the first six games were kind of, you know, each oh. team won three, but they weren't great. And then, of course, game, game seven. seven. Yeah. <laughs> well, you have brought us into the Royals, and, and you are a Royals fan. And I am, yes. We will go back to the championship before the championship to start talking today about okay. uh, Steve Balboni, seen here on his 85 Fleer card, looking off into the future, <laughs> not knowing what brilliance it would hold for, for him. And by that, of course, I refer to his tenure as manager of the Vermont Expos when, when I saw him <laughs> in 2001. Uh the reason I chose Balboni, and I'm glad it has his, his minor league numbers on here, uh, but he spent a year in Nashville. He is the rare, well, for, and for many years, very rare, the, the rare Royal who played uh, in Nashville because obviously uh, Omaha has mm-hmm. been the AAA affiliate for the Royals for pretty much forever. So you don't get these guys that bounce around. But when Balboni was a farmhand for the Yankees, uh, the Nashville Sounds were the the Yankees triple uh, a team and that team he was on in 1980 Mattingly was on that team. Yeah. I think Willie McCovey was on that team. I mean, they're like not Willie McCovey, uh, Willie McGee, Willie McGee. Yeah. Willie McCovey would have been quite old. <laughs> um, and th- yeah, and that was a, a really, really incredible Nashville team. So I'm told it was obviously before I was born, but, uh, Balboni actually has <laughs> people in Nashville. he, he he is remembered with great affection uh, for his time with the Sounds for all the reasons that you would sort of expect, you know, because he hit a lot of home runs. And that's sort of what Balboni always did. Yeah. Uh, he was he was bye-bye Balboni. 34 uh, homers in a minor league season is not a common thing. No, and and I don't know what the dimensions were of Greer in 1980, but I can't imagine they were too different. It is not an easy place or was not, it have a new stadium now, it was not an easy place to, to hit a lot of home runs. So that 34 would have, you know, been bigger and a little more of a, of a cracker box stadium. But, uh, you know, people still talk about Balboni in that one season. He, he's talked about so much. You feel like he, he played you here a lot longer. Uh, but he, you know, he only played one season here. Uh, and, uh, yeah, we, we tracked him down actually for a story for the post a few years ago. He's a, a scout for somebody now, um, like a the nor- a Northeast scout maybe for the Yankees or the Mets or uh, somebody up there. But he uh, he was sort of shocked to learn that people in Nashville still thought so highly of him. They saw him draw 162 walks, which is also that's ridiculous. <laughs> like that's that's unheard of. Yeah, uh, yeah, and a hundred and that's in 141 games too. Yeah. Um, Although in 162 games, that would also be unheard of. But maybe Balboni was the only one hitting that year. He had 122 RBIs. That's, uh, I mean, that's a big year. Also, I'd like to note that Steve Balboni had two triples, mm-hmm. which uh, I would have liked to have seen both of those, if if possible, as he was not. Well, he had four stolen bases. What Quite a fleet of foot year there in 1980 well, for Balboni. I, <laughs> I mean, I just, I, I will say, you know, since we're not pretending about when we're recording this, I just before we recorded watched James Loney hit a triple for the Mets, <laughs> on which he was going to be out by about oh fifteen feet, but the throw in from uh, from right center field hit him and bounced away, so he was able to be safe at third. 
And a good piece of sliding by him to be able to, you know, kind of get his body in between the ball and the base. But still, they, you can get a triple that way. And, yeah, I guess it yeah. all counts. That's uh, uh, really something. But uh, until really... But what's interesting, and another reason I wanted to bring up Balboni to talk about the Royals in Nashville, was how many Royals on this uh, most recent championship team had played in Nashville, despite, of course, the Royals and the Sounds having no affiliation. Um, both Lorenzo Kane and Alcides Escobar played for the Sounds when the Sounds were the Brewers' affiliate. And, of course, they came over in the trade uh, mm-hmm. for Zach Grinke. Uh, ben Zobrist, weirdly, played for the Sounds in the same year that he won a championship with the Royals <laughs> because uh, now the Sounds are the, the Ace Farm team. Uh, so Ben Zobrist did a rehab stint. Uh, in Nashville. Uh, so, you know, after 30 years of only going to Sounds games, if I wanted to see future Royals when they were playing Omaha, I actually ended up seeing quite a few through, you know, with no intent of doing that, including yeah. Ben Zobris. <laughs> and I did not realize that Zobris had played in, I guess, you know, the rehab, like you said. It's, uh, that's something. And, and Nashville's been a city that's had... The Sounds have been an affiliate of a, of a lot of different teams. Yes, and, and I think we'll hit on a couple of these as I look across the cards here. But uh, I remember them in particular being an affiliate of, of the Reds uh, yeah. in the 80s. Uh, and we, we even got Red ga- Reds games on local broadcast here for quite some time, which was an alternative to the Braves, which was really all we had uh, most of the time I was growing up. But... Uh, Let's see, who else? The Brewers, most recently now the A's, the Yankees, and was there a period of time they were the White Sox affiliate? I I don't... Oh, the Pirates. They were the Pirates affiliate. was the year they they almost won the Little World Series. But, um, yeah, the sounds bounce around a lot, and uh, I don't know why that is. I, (laughs) I guess it's, you know, in the... In the old IL and then now in the PCL, a lot of the teams are, you know, it's not like the Iowa Cubs are going to suddenly become the, the Twins affiliate or whatever. So the Sounds, since they're not, they don't have a historical tie to a team like, you know, Memphis and St. Louis, that when a team's looking for a new affiliate, maybe it's just easier to, to rotate into the Sounds. I don't know the answer, but it has uh, it has been a lot, but, you know. I guess that's good. <laughs> it seems like a pretty desirable place to to have a team. It's pretty centrally located. Yeah, uh, and I, it, certainly right, not I, for Oakland, but <laughs> yeah. Um, and we have a new stadium, which uh, you know, I, Greer, where Balboni hit all his home runs, uh, was very old, uh, not really near town. Um, had probably needed replacing for ten or fifteen years, but. We finally got a new stadium that's much closer to downtown. Very, very nice. First Tennessee Park at Sulphurdale, the historic home uh, of baseball in Nashville, where the Nashville Vols played for many, many years in the 30s up into the 60s. Uh, it is a, it's a beautiful park, and we are now affiliated with a team that's 2,100 miles away. Yeah. And, and that follows, I was able to look this up. The sounds have been affiliated with uh, since 78. Um, which I guess is the that was the return of, of baseball, yeah. Current incarnation of, of yeah, uh, the Reds, then the Yankees, 
then the Tigers, then the Reds again, <laughs> then the White Sox, the Pirates, the Brewers, and most recently and currently the Oakland A's. And yeah, so yeah, and to just get back to Balboni, the the crazy thing about him is that his home run record for the Royals has lasted through six different Nashville Sounds affiliations, if that's one <laughs> way that you want to look at it. Well, and although the way the Sounds changes affiliations, it, that could be 12 years, but <laughs> <laughs> Balboni's record has yeah. held up for, uh, let's see, did he set the record in 85? In 85, right? yeah, he yeah. set the team record for home runs in a single season, and it continues to stand. Yeah, and, and uh, you felt like maybe there are guys on the team now uh, who could threaten that, and, and there's a guy in here we'll talk about a little bit later who I I thought maybe could have threatened it in the 90s and early 2000s, but, uh, you know, you felt like maybe Billy Butler could have could have threatened that a little bit, Kendris Morales if he stays healthy, or Alex Gordon if he stays, but for some reason, Balboni's uh, <laughs> home run record Stands the test of time 31 years later. Yeah, 36 homers in, uh, in 1985. And that's a that's a, obviously a great number playing in Kaufman, which yeah. is a, not an easy place to hit home runs, obviously. Uh, <laughs> it's not just that the Royals were bad for 30 years and didn't have anybody who could hit home runs. It is also a difficult place to hit home runs. And they, they had, you know, a, a guy that we'll get to, a couple uh, yeah. of guys that we'll get to. Oh, well, let's, let's just go with... Uh, okay. With the next guy here, who's Jermaine Dye, uh, seen here on a, a card that is made to look like an 89 upper deck, but is not 89. It's a 2002 of some kind of, I don't know what the set is that they made here. It looks like. <laughs> Tops, Tops Heritage is one thing. Upper deck doing like a 13 years later throwback card is just completely Hey, remember stupid. the 80s? Yeah. But you do you, upper deck, and I guess you... Don't do you because Tops is the only licensed manufacturer of Major League Baseball cards now. So, uh, but Jermaine Dye, a, a guy who very easily could have set that Royals home run record, but obviously did not. Yeah, and uh, uh, Jermaine Dye is sneakily one of my. He sort of became one of my all-time favorite players. Um, if to to make a, a wrestling sort of meta, metaphor, right? he's an upper mid card guy, you know, uh, he is an intercontinental champion, but, uh, he also ended up, I think on every fantasy baseball team I ever had, <laughs> uh, so much so that I felt like I needed to send Jermaine Dye a Christmas card. Um, but yeah, Jermaine Dye, you know, he, you, you look at his, his career numbers and you go, Jermaine Dye had a great career and he yeah. played in some, some really good teams. Uh, you know, he was on some some pretty competitive Braves teams, in addition to, you know, some pretty good Oakland teams. So and World Series MVP with the White Sox. Of, oh yeah, which I forgot about. Yeah, because I try to forget about the White Sox World Series championship. Well, that <laughs> you know, World Series MVP kind of is like the Intercontinental Champion. Yeah. Oh yeah. Like look at the guys over the years that like you know Ray Knight. <laughs> um, you know, Bumgarner even. Uh, kind of the same thing like he hasn't well, yeah, he, was, he hasn't gotten past Clayton Kershaw by any stretch of the imagination he's an elite pitcher but 
you know, he's he's not at that same level quite. And then I already forget who won for the Royals last year. Uh, oh Lord, you think I wouldn't remember this? But uh, did Perez win it? I think Perez did win it. I think that was I'm, one of the. I'm going to say that my excuse is that I was in in the locker room at the time that they were. Don't you vote on that? <laughs> I do not vote on that. Okay. Maybe I do. I I, I, did I didn't. Not. <laughs> yeah, uh, I voted on the Con Smythe one year. But which I, was I've not also uh, not won by. Uh, Salvador Perez was the. Uh, yeah, I thought he the probably was. Yeah, but was, he was not. But was not on the field for the final out. Um, right. <laughs> which, uh, it was uh, the, the delightful. Was it Drew Brutera or or Eric Kratz? I don't remember who exactly got to give the hug to Wade Davis there. But you know, I it, it's such a thing. That game was so ludicrous that <laughs> I just I have no idea what happened. I know that the Royals. They scored in the ninth, and it was like, well, okay, this game and series are over, even though the game is tied, and it was really just a matter of time until the Royals did it. And then they scored about a million runs yeah, in extra innings, innings yeah. which gave you some time as a writer, which I appreciate, to you know, <laughs> you know tie up all those loose ends. But I wasn't really watching very closely at the, the bottom of that <laughs> final inning. You know, just because you get into that, and it's like, well, I'm writing. Okay. Um, and you also know that when it's the end of the World Series, you don't have to get downstairs to the locker room absolutely immediately. Right. They, they weren't going to, they didn't have to hop on the plane for a trip to Seattle or something, you know. Yeah. And they're also, they're going to be celebrating on the field for a little while before they even get to the locker room and open it up. So you've got some time to finish, you know, the story that you're writing for immediate publication. You want it, you want it to be up as fast as possible on the internet, but it's still, you know, you have you know, two minutes after the game if, if you need that to, to get it done. And, you know, in an extra inning game, you often do need that to try to, finish it up but yeah i had no idea what happened at the end of that and uh so that's where yeah current reigning uh major league baseball inter- intercontinental self intercontinental champion salvador perez congratulations it, to him but you know what? and that feels right it does again but you go yeah yeah sal perez intercontinental champion you know he's likable and uh does funny things um jermaine die one of the rare players who hit a home run in his first at bat uh, as a major league player, and uh, uh, also has a, you know, he had 325 home runs. I mean, he had a no-joke career. He had a 44-homer year with the White Sox in 06, following yeah. up that intercontinental title run. <laughs> good, that's good for him. And he, you know, and yet only made the All-Star team twice, which you feel like for an outfielder, uh, just because there's so many more spots, you, you you feel like maybe the guy could have fallen backwards into one. But, you know, he played in Kansas City and Oakland, uh, which are not places that, particularly at the time he played, where you got a lot of national attention, I guess. But well, I think, the other, like, at the time that he was playing, there would be guys that were just hitting Well, that's the other thing, like, too, yeah. The, the type of player that Jermaine Dye was, like, he was a power hitter, but that wasn't, he wasn't, He wasn't hitting away. fifty or sixty. He, yeah, he's not that guy. Like he was dependable for, you know, twenty-five to thirty-five homers a year, 
and you know that's what he would give you and and that's cool played pretty good D I think that he would have been appreciated a little bit more in this era maybe not well you know I think he probably would have been yeah you you know just because of of the skill set also interesting thing about Jermaine Dye I believe he is the last player to wear 24 for the Oakland A's uh because I think they have retired it. I think they may have even retired 24 while he was wearing it uh, for Ricky Henderson. They they certainly <laughs> do. Oh. No, last play, following Jermaine Dye, it was worn by Dan Harron, Sh- Shannon Stewart, and Kurt Suzuki. Oh. Before they wow. finally retired it for Ricky. Which I don't know what were they waiting for. <laughs> they were, Dan Harron, I guess. Suzuki. Wait. Well, apparently, he wore it for one year. What did he then wear? That's just... That's weird. Aaron then wore 15. Well, you feel like, uh, if you're the Oakland A's, doesn't it feel like maybe you retire Ricky Henderson's number, like, the second he retires? (laughs) I mean... And unless the A's are one of those teams where it's you have to be in the Hall of Fame before they retire your number... But even so, you would think that once Ricky's out of there, they would have the the idea to say, maybe we just don't, it's not officially retired, but we're not circulating it because this dude is going to the Hall of Fame. Yeah. Um, and it tells you a lot about those teams that would I think of those, those sort of Bash Brothers teams. Uh, Ricky is the one I think about now. I don't think about Conseco and Maguire, and, and obviously that's because maybe <laughs> what has happened in the meantime with those two in particular. But I try to think about Jose Canseco as little as possible. <laughs> yeah, days. that's good because your brain will melt if you think too hard about him. I mean, I loved watching that guy play. He was a lot of fun, but he's, uh, yeah, best to just kind of leave those memories where they are. Yeah. But Ricky, I'm always happy to think about Ricky. Ricky sure. will put a smile on your face. Sure. Uh, Ricky's, I just saw Ricky not long ago at Old Timers Day at Yankee Stadium, and he was having a blast. As uh, Was he stealing on guys? Uh, <laughs> he, was just, he was just laughing around the batting cage. Um, he was actually in Nashville remember. recently because he's a, is he like a traveling instructor for somebody now, I think? Maybe with the A's. He could very well be. Yeah, and he he was in Nashville uh, sometime last year, but it was right around uh, Hall of Fame time, I guess, and he was talking about that and talking about how much fun he was having in Nashville and how much fun Ricky was having just getting to travel around and be Ricky. Being Ricky. Yeah. Never stops. Can't turn it off. Yeah. And uh, speaking of guys who had fun, the next guy... Uh, that we have a card of here to talk about is somebody who always seemed like he was having fun and unfortunately no longer with us, uh, Jose Lima. Oh, Jose. Always in our hearts. It's Lima time. Yeah. Um, uh, Jose Lima, and I'm going to confirm that this is his rookie card we're looking at, so obviously this is... Well before he was with the Royals, but yes, this will have no details. This is a yeah. score rookie dream team card. Uh, <laughs> him with the Tigers and and really barely even looking like 
what I remember Jose Lima looking like. Yeah. Okay. So so Lima was with the Royals in two thousand three, and then he, he had another stint in two thousand five. But two thousand three was the year that uh, Kansas City started something ridiculous, like twenty two and three or something. Um, and Lima came to the yeah. team in June and was fantastic. But I'll get to the story about Lima signing here in a minute. But uh, so this time while the Royals are are just shattering expectations um, of the baseball world and nobody knows what's going on. Where am I? I am in the North Atlantic uh, on a very small naval vessel with no access to television and getting uh, scores emailed to me via satellite, you know, overnight and I get them all in a big package. So after at that time, nearly 20 years of suffering, as a Royals fan, uh, I don't get to see the the best start in team history. I get back, actually, pretty close to around the time Lima signed, and I think the Royals lost like twelve or thirteen straight when I got off the plane and uh, I finished four or five back that year. But uh, Lima came in in June, and the Royals gave him a uh, you know they worked him out, and he was going to pitch a simulated game, but he would not start pitching the simulated game until somebody played uh, the national anthem. Um, because he <laughs> wanted the whole routine to be there. And, of course, they didn't have that ready. So they had to wait to start the simulated game until somebody could go find a recording of the national anthem to play so that Jose Lima could uh, could begin. Why couldn't and, he get his wife there to sing? Yeah, or he could have sang it. Doesn't he have, like, a Latin Grammy or something? But he, I, uh, I thought that there was just a famous performance by his wife singing the the anthem. I, I, you know, I don't know. He uh, he left to to go sing, and he retired. Maybe it was him. Um, yeah, it was him. Yeah, but he, uh, yeah, he uh, he was great for the Royals. Right like here on YouTube. Let's just get a little. Good voice. He's got a good voice. That's nice, Jose. Uh, but he, yeah, he started seven and zero for the Royals that year, and uh, and was part of what kind of kept them in the hunt. Well, well after maybe they should have been. Um, he was not good in two thousand five <laughs> for the Royals. <laughs> but, uh, I, I'll remember again with Jose. You want to remember the good times? A guy who who really was just a delight everywhere he went. Uh, he reminds me a lot, maybe, of of Bruce Chen, who obviously had a much longer career. But Bruce Chen uh, was a guy who you never got the idea that he was not having a great time playing baseball for money. Yeah, you know, like they just uh, just every time they come out, big smile on their face, always look like they were having fun. Never really let it get to him. And and Jose was a great quote, uh, much like Ricky. Absolutely, and uh, part of that Royals season, that uh, one of the storylines of that, when uh, in, in 03, I guess, was it 03? we were just talking about it. 03 was the great 03. year. Yeah. 03 was the well, great the, year. Well, the yes. great start, at least. Great first half. 
them finishing with a winning record meant that they were going to keep the next guy here, uh, Mike Sweeney, because he had the the contractual clause that if the Royals never finished over 500 for X many years, which it certainly appeared that they might not, that he would be able to get out of his deal. And instead, he wound up staying with the Royals for a, a much longer time. Yeah. Um, Mike Sweeney, uh, of my teenage and early 20s years, probably my favorite player, um, really was Mr. Royal at a time when the Royals were very bad. I mean, were just historically bad and uh, had players come through like, you know, like Johnny Damon and Carlos Beltran and, mm-hmm. and even Jermaine Dye and, you know, all these great hitters. <coughs> and they couldn't keep them. And, and Sweeney stayed the course there for them. Uh, obviously, you know, they re-upped him with the, the Sweeney clause. But even later on, you know, he would, he extended there when at a time when he was legitimately, you know, one of the best hitting first basemen in the league, but the best four or five hitting first basemen hit a lot of doubles, uh, had some injury problems, of course, and was, was prone to that. But, uh, you feel for Jermaine Dyan, he's, or, uh, Mike Sweeney rather. And, you know, he did his, uh, I feel for Jermaine Dye too. I feel for, for Jermaine Dye. For Jermaine Dye won a world series. Yeah. Uh, still, he broke his leg when he was with Oakland. That was kind of horrific. So Sweeney went on his his sort of tour of chasing a World Series, which I don't think anybody in Kansas City blamed him for, but spent some time with the Phillies and I think the Mariners. Uh, and can, never got a ring. I he he was around with his most recent run, which I liked, and has you know there's chatter that maybe he is the man to replace Ned Yost whenever the time comes, which for Ned Yost now sounds like whenever he wants it to be, but as shocking as that is to say. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, yeah, Sweeney was, I mean, he was a a really, really, you look at, at the leaders in doubles at that time, and he would, you know, lead the AL in doubles by several because everybody else was trying to hit home runs. Uh, and I may, I'm sure Sweeney was trying to hit home runs, but maybe you couldn't in Kaufman. But, uh uh, just a you know, just a stalwart of some pretty, pretty bad teams, and you know, with, with the with baseball's guarantee that every team has an all star, you know, I, I assume Mike Sweeney times. booked yeah booked his hotel room pretty early in the year uh, for the all star game. Yeah, yeah, he, he was a guy that you thought maybe would uh, would break that Steve Balboni record, but he, he never wound up hitting more than twenty nine. Yeah, um, and well, and you know, some of that, especially after after Beltran left, there just wasn't any protection in the lineup at all. You know, uh, they could go after him or pitch around him, but he, you know, he was really the only threat to do anything on some of those teams. Yeah. Well, we can talk now about a guy who was hardly much of a threat. Um, for much of his career, that's uh, that's at the plate. Good, good defensive player. I'm curious why he was on your uh, <laughs> when you sent me a list of guys that you might want to talk about and, and cards that I could send you. I did send you a 1992 Donruss Jeff Treadway uh, senior <laughs> game 
absolutely splattered by somebody on the Cincinnati Reds. Yeah, I was trying to figure that out too earlier today. I was trying to to put some numbers together there. But he yeah, that's a pretty high elbow. Yeah, there's <laughs> elbow right up into the knee. There's yeah. not a lot of evidence about who that could be. I see maybe there's maybe there's an E on the back of that jersey. Yeah, that really narrows it down. I can't tell at all. Cincinnati, come on. Um Yeah, no, Jeff Treadway, I do want to yeah. uh, uh, 1988, maybe 87. He, let's see. He uh, split. A national connection. Okay. Yeah, he did play. He did play for the Sounds. I do remember seeing him play for the Sounds. Um. Uh, he wore 27 for the Sounds, and he very well may have worn 27 for the Braves and Reds as well. But uh, 27 was a number I wore a lot. And as a kid, it was because of Jeff Treadway because he was a pretty big second baseman, and I was—I mean, he was five eleven for a second baseman. That's that's pretty large. And I was had desire uh, designs on being a pretty big second baseman myself. Uh, so I wore twenty seven. The people mistakenly think that I liked twenty seven because of Jeremy Roenick, who you know his nickname, of course, is, is Jr. And I always have to be like, no, no, it's Jeff Treadway. Just trust me. Uh, That's a rough brush to be painted with. I mean, but you know, it, it's understandable. You no, know, he's twenty-seven. Jr. Jeremy Roenick. I, I'm, sure. I'm not. You know, it's understandable. I'd still be upset if I were you. Yeah, and so I wanted to come on this podcast and say it is instead because of Jeff Treadway. Although, and Treadway did wear twenty-seven uh, for part of his time with the Braves. Yeah, uh, Treadway uh, led the Atlanta Braves in batting. Uh, in uh, 1991. Uh, he hit .320, which in 1991, I don't know how many at-bats he had. He had 306 at-bats. You know, that's, that qualify you? That does not qualify you. Oh, well, you never mind. 336 plate appearances. You need 502, I think, is the magic number. That's still a nice season for him. Yeah, and... Uh, and But, you know, uh, 91... 91 was the first year of their run. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was, speaking of guys who came out of nowhere to win the World Series MVP, had the Braves won the World Series in 1991, there's a pretty good chance Mark Limke would have been the MVP. Yes. Uh, weak hitting Mark Limke, who uh, that year and then there was another World Series year where I think he hit about 550 uh, in, the, <laughs> in the World Series, but... Uh, I think 95, when they yeah. did win, when, yeah. he uh, went off. Uh, so Treadway was a, a sort of a victim, I think, of Mark Linke having a pretty good October. Mark Linke was a, also a, a, an incredibly good defensive second baseman. But Dre- Treadway was probably a better hitter. Uh, but, you know, for whatever reason, Mark Linke, who would play on many, 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 many of those Braves teams and would have many, many hilarious, great Octobers. Oh, his other really great one was the 96 NLCS. <laughs> yes. He was the MVP of the 96 NLCS, I believe. But did they win that one? Who knows? It's they hard did. to keep they, up with the Braves won, in the 96s. They won that NLCS. Uh, he was not the MVP. Lemke, come on, man. Uh, does not appear from his baseball reference page that he won any awards. Mark Lemke, let's see, who was the 96 NLCS MVP? 
Javi Lopez. Uh, the Javi Lopez, I, uh, the only World Series game I ever went to, the 95 Game 2, Lopez threw out somebody from the Indians at first from his knees. Uh, it was pretty incredible. Yeah. He's, uh, he was good. <laughs> Some of those guys on the, on the Braves, they, they may have had an entire team of Intercontinental Champions. Um, <laughs> the amount of series that they were in, for yeah, sure. Yeah, you feel like, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I wanted to, to remember Jeff Treadway, a guy who, the, the guy who was buried by Mark Lemke, of all people. Um, but there he was, you know, he is, he's coaching high school baseball or something, I, I looked him up the other day. Good for him. Yeah. And I'm looking now at that completely unrelated Game 7 of the 1996 NLCS, which I had completely forgotten about. Braves 15, Cardinals nil. Mm. That stings. Reminds me of a little bit of a Game 7 I watched in uh, hockey this year. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's... I don't know what's worse for a Game 7. And and maybe you know maybe we're also talking about what has happened on Sunday. What will have happened <laughs> by the time? He's the future perfect. Yes, indeed. Uh, how would you rather lose a game seven, heartbreakingly close at the end, or just get the doors blown off of you? Well, it, you know, I uh, I'm, I maybe I'm in an interesting position to talk about this because uh, game seven of the Royals. Giants World Series was was a heartbreaker, mm-hmm. uh, particularly with you know Gordon being on third and should he or shouldn't he, and uh, uh, that was hard. On the other hand, I the game seven that we we're sort of joking about here is the the Predators Sharks game seven. The Preds win two games in overtime, multiple overtimes uh, to get that series to seven games, and then. I think it it was five to nothing or something. They they lose in San Jose to wrap the series up. Um, I uh, I moved on a lot faster from the heartbreaker. <laughs> I think, and part of that may have been that obviously that was in the World Series and not in the second round. Um, but you, you feel like when look you lose one to nothing and and the guy on the other end puts up a historically great performance. Yes, you're 90 feet from tying the game. On the other hand, there wasn't a lot more they could have done there. I mean, when it's 5 to nothing, on the other hand, you go. You know, it wasn't a buzzsaw. You guys just didn't show up. That's a lot different. So yeah. the heartbreak is probably worse than one nothing, but you, you feel worse about losing 5 nothing. Hmm. I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm not. I think you know you you get just absolutely clobbered, beaten to smithereens. I mean, yeah, Game Seven in in 2015, 2014 is that's a special example because that's that's one where it almost was a blowout. Like there was nothing the Royals could have done really. Right. Right, that one to nothing might as well have been fifteen to nothing. Yeah, I mean, most of the time when when you're dealing with it with a one run game like that, 
you do feel like, oh, there were opportunities. There were times when, you know, this this thing, if we'd gotten this break or that break or, you know, this, this shot, you know, doesn't get deflected in a hockey sense or, you know, you know that three-pointer goes in instead of rimming out or, you know, whatever it is. You can pinpoint those moments, whereas the total blowout, you just look at that and you're like, well, wasn't meant to be. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so maybe that was a bad comparison because one to nothing, the the only chance the Royals really had against against Baumgartner certainly was at the very end there. Yeah, uh, yeah, I don't know. That yeah, was, was that game one nothing. Was it three two? I thought it was one to nothing, but it may have been three. It, it, it whatever it was, it was one run, and <laughs> well, yeah. you know, I think it may have been three to two because I think they got to. Uh, uh, yeah, they had. The they had to, was. They got to. They chased uh, the starter, but well, no, they chased him. I, I, I think Baumgartner was coming in. They got to Hudson <laughs> yeah. early, and then Affelt did a real nice job. So, Former yeah, Kansas it, City Royal, Jeremy Affelt was three two. Yes, indeed. And a, a heck of a guy Affelt was. I, I really enjoyed him. I've, uh, I've heard lots of of great things, and I have memories of him. Another one of those guys where you. He wasn't in a great situation in Kansas City and has sort of built a nice a nice career around him. Although he, you know, I felt was, he was kind of there when, when the Royals were on the cusp maybe and he was always going to peak when some other guys who were behind him uh, that were younger who were going to be better were going to be up, you know. So the the best thing for Affelt was probably to get out of there. He, he his best years and also to do what he did become a, a relief pitcher. Well, yeah, um, yeah, and that's the other thing is that at, at the time when he was in Kansas City, there wasn't really any choice but for him to be a starter. So, uh, but good for Jeremy Affelt. Nice little career for himself. Absolutely, couple of couple of world titles. Mm-hmm. And. Also, an, an interesting quirk of that game seven, he was the winning pitcher, and the he losing, was the winning pitcher, losing pitcher Jeremy Guthrie. So a double Jeremy situation in Game Seven of World Series. I don't and know those are two guys who are for sort of forever entwined in my mind for whatever reason. Uh, I'm sure they were both on the Royals staff together. <laughs> yeah, maybe that's it. I don't think Royals they were ever uh, always with the smart pitcher. You know, we got to have the Ivy Leaguer. Yeah, Brian Bannister. I don't know if he was. I don't know where Brian. No, Bannister around was, then, yeah. But he was definitely a smart guy. Granky's you know, smart as a whip. You can never get him to talk. Yeah, and you know, continuing to today with Chris Young, another uh, obviously smart guy. Yeah. Yeah, um, I, I always talk about how he's my favorite Princeton athlete of all time because he left early. But I was gonna. I was going to say that's a pretty short list for you, I would imagine. It's an incredibly short list. <laughs> it consists of Chris Young. I'll say Bill Bradley, too. Why not? But, you well, know. Uh, I have a... Uh, also well before I was born. Yeah, I have a friend of mine whose father it was almost seven feet tall, played ball- basketball at Penn, as a matter of fact. No. Uh, at, against Bradley. And uh, uh, so I, I've heard many stories about... Bradley, the basketball player, and and the Penn Princeton thing, which for some reason I never really understood 
until you realize that Philadelphia and New Jersey are right next to each other. So yeah, when you're I mean, from the South, you don't always put those things together. <laughs> they're 45 miles apart or 40, 46 miles apart. And, and the reason that Bill Bradley wound up on the Knicks is because it was the oh, territorial draft and Princeton yeah. was 46 miles from Philly and 45 miles from New York. Wow, I did not know it was uh I knew it was a territorial pick, but I didn't know. Yeah. I, it never occurred to me that he could have been taken by the Philadelphia team. Well, he couldn't. He couldn't have been, but <laughs> because because of that extra mile and yeah, so it's they're 46 miles from one another and for like 35 years, they won 33 of the Ivy League championships between the two. And it was like You're right. Brown in 86 and Cornell in 88 were the only ones pretty much for my entire life until about five years ago. Yeah, and Harvard has, uh, and now has we got, come along. Yale's getting in and Cornell got in. It's just Penn has fallen off the map and I don't want to talk about it anymore. So let's, <laughs> let's move let's on move to Carlos on. Beltran. Uh, yes. He's a... Uh, a guy who uh, uh, I have grown to love a lot more as I've gotten older, weirdly enough. Um, Beltran. Isn't that, isn't that always the way? Yeah, Beltran was was a Royal and was great for the Royals and and left the Royals because they couldn't pay him the money or they wouldn't pay him the money uh, in some pretty lean times. And you, you feel bad because then, of course, he goes on and has an amazing career and then it gets worse because then he plays for the Cardinals. Uh, but, uh, you know, I'm, I'm happy now when I see Belton still playing. Yeah. Having yeah. a great year for the end. Having a, yeah, and he's what in his fifties. I don't know. But, uh, uh, Carlos Beltran is one of the, he's a guy who's older than us born. Uh, yeah. Which these days, he's 39. Uh, yeah, so you know, I don't know that he's going to go Julio Franco on us or anything, but uh, he, he uh, should go to to the Hall of Fame, though. Yeah, you no, oh yeah, I think certainly he's made his case to do that. Um, but you know, and and I don't think I'm unusual among Royals fans in feeling the way that I did and now do about Beltran. It seems to be pretty universal. Nobody really liked seeing him play for the Cards and. I'm not sure anybody's really thrilled about him playing for the Yankees either, but, uh, uh, he'll, you know, you, you like to see the Yankees a guy know like what that they're happen. doing at all. He'll be somewhere else by the end well, of right. July. Aren't, aren't the Yankees in last? They got back <laughs> to 500. Uh, to, uh, again, we're speaking on Saturday. They got back to 500 today by beating the uh, woebegotten Minnesota Twins for a third straight day. Uh, they were in last, and I think that they have since... I know, in fact, that they have since surpassed the uh, the Rays, but it's they're five and a half out as we speak right now, and uh, five and a half out of first of first in the in well, the AL. AL. <laughs> the Orioles have the second best record in the league. Uh, yeah, a lot of parity this year, I which, guess. Which is to say, that the American League is uh, a complete. Well, right, you know, plurality of mess. Yeah, because the the Cubs have already won a hundred games, I think. So, um, yeah. that wh- what strange times we live in. It's basically the the American League is like thirteen good teams. The A's kind of stink, and the Twins really stink. Which which surprises me. Uh, the Twins were a team that I was I was worried about heading into the year. 
uh, in the central and obviously for a good reason. Um, and really it looks like the Royals are, are starting to, you know, maybe when Gordon gets back, we'll really have a chance to take control of that division. Cause it looks like the white Sox are starting to fall off. Uh, James Shields, old friend alert again, it's <laughs> a Saturday. Yeah. I, James Shields, also a member of my fantasy team, checked his ERA today. It was north of 40. Um, so it, it has not I, gone well for him since returning to the American League. Uh, yeah, no, he maybe should have stayed in San Diego. I, and, and you know, he was not great for the Royals, but he did what they needed him to do. Uh, but, I, yeah. He pitched you in, can do a whole podcast. He pitched in podcast games of, of approximate size. Yeah, <laughs> yes. Uh, normal size game, James Shields. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Now, now, big game, James. I guess is what opposing batters call him. Ooh, uh, <laughs> a burn. My wife. <laughs> but uh, yeah, um, uh, I will say that I have more affection for Carlos Beltran than James Shields. Even you know, <laughs> even still. I think that's fair. Um, the thing about James Shields, he got you Wade Davis. That's true. Uh, and, and you know, the joke, when that trade was made, Dayton Moore said yeah. as much, said, we'll look back in, on this as the Wade Davis trade. And everybody was like, are you serious? Are you out of your mind? Because at the time, Davis was, was he starting, I think? Or was a middle relief? I mean, you know, he, he was nothing... He was not widely seen as yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and then you know he he becomes the eighth inning guy and is now of course the the closer probably as long as he wants to be in Kansas City. But uh, yeah, you, you look back at Dayton Moore and and the things that we said about him saying, well, this was the way Davis trade. Uh, and you go, well, I guess, again, you were right. This is one of those, like, uh, you know, you do that a lot as a Royals fan where you, you second-guess them, and then their third guess is always right. Uh, Ned Yost is a great example. Of, <laughs> Ned, what are you doing? Oh, I see. Well, they won, so I guess whatever. Um, but, yeah, Wade, Wade Davis was a I, – I, James Shields was a nice throw-in on the Wade Davis trade. We'll put it that way. Sure. And with that, we can move on to the next guy here. Who who are we even we we're talking about? Beltran. We got over to Wade Davis, and and that's how that's exactly how this show should go. So let's see where we get with uh, with Otis Nixon in those beautiful baby blue Montreal Expos road uniforms. Yes, I, I love those Expos uniforms. I were they gray? Were they blue? They were blue. <laughs> But there was a little slate in them. You felt like maybe there was a little bit of gray there. But uh, Otis Nixon is a guy I primarily remember with those uh, uh, early 90s, mid-90s Braves teams. Sure. Um, And looking at at his age, he was in his early 30s by then. Uh, He looked like he was in his early 70s at the time. He. But he also ran uh, about 70 miles an hour. I, I guess speed doesn't age, isn't that what they always say? But he, uh, That depends. Could... It seems like sometimes <laughs> some guys it absolutely does. 
Well, with Otis, it did not. He yeah. was very, very fast, well into what I guess was his early 50s um, when he retired finally. But uh, he he was a, another guy who was fun to watch and sort of uh, pre-Andrew Jones was the man in center field for Atlanta and defensively was, was very good. Um, but never... And also kind of like Andrew Jones was sort of patrolled in that casual kind of way. And then the ball would be hit and and off Otis would go. Uh, there's a pretty famous catch of him climbing the wall, I want to say, in maybe 92 or 93 uh, in a, a key playoff game for the Braves. But, you know, just uh, Otis, we need when Otis got on base... You know, he'd be on third pretty shortly. And you don't... There there were a lot more of those guys then. And I think it's coming back a little now with power going away, but uh, yeah. not like it was at the time. Well, the, when you, <laughs> you know, Otis Dixon stole, could steal 40 or 50 bases and wouldn't necessarily lead the league in stolen bases at the time. The Royals certainly seem to be bringing it back. And I, I will say this, uh, Otis Nixon had 26 steals in his final season. His age forty season. Uh, yeah, he, well, that's pretty good. Only two guys with more steals in a single season in their forties, and they are, you know, of course, Ricky Henderson. Yeah, uh, but also Davey Lopes with the eighty-five Cubs stole forty-seven at the wow. age of forty. Is is stealing forty when you're forty? Like, is that like golfers shooting their it. age? Yeah, is that, <laughs> is that one guy? So yeah, that's pretty good. Uh, yeah, and and I guess the reaction to you know the the home runs and walks thing sort of that was the sabermetric thing maybe ten years ago has been to go the other way because now that's what everybody looks for. So now the market is inefficient in speed and defense, and and really that's what the you know the Royals put the ball in play a lot and dared you to put the ball in play a lot against them. Mm-hmm. And I, I actually wrote a couple of years ago about stolen bases maybe being a, something of a market inefficiency about the time that the Royals were putting putting together what they were putting together. Um, so, Well, good for you, Jesse. I'm proud, <laughs> proud of me for that one. <laughs> I'm still a little disappointed that my term of Kansas City Catanaccio has not caught on beyond really my own usage of it <laughs> you and me yeah. uh yeah the uh, obscure italian uh, uh soccer slang has, maybe doesn't have a wide cachet among baseball fans i don't know it should well yeah i i don't know what other terms we could introduce from italian soccer in particular but <laughs> it's a uh, it's rife with terms i'm sure oh yeah I'll have but, to pull pull out the copy of uh, Miracle of Castel di Sangro again and, and reread that and see what else I can scrounge. Yeah, highlight some stuff. Yeah. Uh, what's the... He was Czech, but his name sounds Italian. The penalty where you just sort of uh, tap Paneka? it with your... Yeah, Paneka. That, I think that's a term that should be used in, in more sports than soccer. Um, I don't know how you would do it, but... You know the little goofy chip shot. Maybe with the U.S. Open or something. I don't almost know. Almost an Ephus. It is almost an Ephus, and 
speaking of, of Ephesus and a guy we mentioned earlier, Zach Grinky was a guy who who uh, in Kansas City would sometimes dig the Ephus out. Maybe the last guy I saw throw one on purpose. <laughs> I feel like I saw Lima throw one. Well, that, no, okay, yeah, that, almost certainly. The The thing was, for years, Kansas City had a, a pitching coach uh, who taught the slow curve, and there were many, many young Royals pitchers who used the slow curve to varying degrees of success that it was almost ephesy on its own. And Greeky still throws that that big bending slow curve every mm-hmm. once in a while, um, w- which is like an ephus that is better. <laughs> I guess it's an Evis that's actually thrown with some sort of some evil to intent. it. Yeah. yeah, the Evis with malice aforethought. Maybe that is a Paneka. <laughs> that, that's what we. That's what you should call it. Next time you see a guy throw a big, big slow curve, call it a Paneka. And can you imagine Otis Nixon being on first when somebody throws one? He'd be on third. Third, yeah. He might be on his way home. Who knows? Yeah. Trying to think who it was I saw score from second base on an infield hit earlier this year. <laughs> kind of Otis Nixon esque in in that regard. You'd have to have a big lead and a big jump, and the yeah. ball would have to go in exactly the right place. Or you can be you know you can be Eric Hosmer. Yeah. And just well, decide. I'm going. Screw it. <laughs> I'm I'm taking off. Well, you know. Uh, I want to give Mike Jersley credit for that one, I guess. Just because he was maligned, I think, wrongly at the end of the World Series of the year before for holding up Gordon. Uh, so I'm going to say Jersley was like, you should go. Although, Rusty Koontz is, the, is actually the, the base running instructor in Kansas City. Mm-hmm. Uh, and was was giving, before today's, this Saturday, again, before Saturday's game was... Uh, working on Danny Duffy with base running because the Royals have uh, a game against the Mets coming up or a series against the Mets next week. So uh, Danny Duffy wanted to make sure, should he get on base somehow, that he is ready to uh, to maybe go first to third. Danny Duffy know. could be a, a pinch run type of <laughs> candidate in, in a game in a National League park. Well, you know, he uh, he's been work. He's he's committed to the craft, so maybe that somebody should get a pitcher that is really fast and use them as a pinch runner, and then you don't have to worry about having a, like a Terrence score or you know some of these goofy September call up guys. And that's that's something. And Clinton Kershaw pinch ran just the other night. Mm-hmm. I I don't understand why you don't like obviously they, you don't want guys to get hurt but in situations where you need it why there aren't more guys with some versatility where this really drives me nuts is in the NFL where the kicker and punter feel like they can only do those two things kick and punt yeah what like what are you doing the rest of the day? <laughs> well, I kicked uh, ten balls and I went home. Um, and, and I'm not. Dem- I know that those guys work hard on what they do, but shouldn't you spend like I don't know twenty minutes a day just like working on other things in case? Sure, maybe you're the uh, 
they roll you out there as like a six wide receiver or something. Well, and, not, uh, not even that, but like you know, why is why is the kicker not always available if the punter gets hurt? Yeah, that's, that's or has I, no idea what he's doing if the punter gets hurt. Why have you not spent just twenty minutes a day? That's all. Just twenty minutes taking some punts and being serviceable enough at it. You clearly have the leg strength. Or to be able to throw a pass in the event that the ball gets away. Yeah, I, and what I don't ever get is like uh you see uh, uh a kicker get hurt, and then they show the shot on the sideline of, of someone else kicking. Yeah. And, and you're always assuming it's the punter. And then it ends up being, they're like, oh, it's the emergency kicker, and it's, you know, like a, a slot receiver or something. I mean, unless it's Ocho Cinco, who was an all-state soccer player. Obviously, that's a different story. But, it you know, you're like, why is this guy the emergency <laughs> kicker? Why is the... I'm sure the punter kicked in high school. You know, I, there are not many high schools yeah. that have separate punters and kickers. Uh, How but bad no, we're going to really be. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You you've got to be better than the five ten uh, flanker, right? I'm, uh, kids these days. Honestly, anytime a kicker gets hurt, they should just. Jet in either Ocho Cinco or Rob Gunkowski. I don't know if Gronk can kick. I want to see him try. Yeah, wh- whether he can or can't doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah, just let him do it. And and he'd probably be happy to. Yeah, sure. I'll go kick for uh, you know for for the the Browns or whoever. Detroit it seems like a kind of thing Detroit would do. Sure, just you know, Patriots already played at one. Yeah. West Coast game, Seahawks or something? Stop the game. Got to get Gronk in here. Y'all kick it, man. Yeah. So we've somehow gotten to the NFL. I think it was my fault. Well, we went from Otis Nixon to Rob Gronkowski, which is incredible. All right. (laughs) (laughs) So Raul Abanez is next. Yeah. And then a guy who is the opposite of both Otis Nixon and Rob Gronkowski. That's That's impressive. Yeah, it's hard to do both, but I want to look at Abanez. He's another guy who uh, who has been on my fantasy team many times. I felt like Abanez played for more teams than this. I felt like this... he played for the Royals for longer than three years. Well, he did, uh, maybe on the second stint. Ah, uh, that's what I maybe forget yeah. here. But he was on the Mariners, and then he was on the Royals, and then he was on the Mariners again, and then he was on the Royals again, but... And there may have been some other teams in there. I don't know. But uh, I, I, I felt like he played for about 26 teams, but apparently he only played for two. Um, well, he was, he was on the, the Yankees. And yeah, I know. Right. Okay, sure. Yeah, everybody was, was on the Yankees. was ludicrous for them in the playoffs in 2012, I guess it was. He was on the Phillies. He was on the, the World the Phillies team. Mm-hmm. Uh, he wasn't on the champion Phillies team, but he was on the uh, – I was going to say the World little, Series losing Phillies team. In, in a little 09. bit of a Robert Ory kind of guy here. Yeah, um, except with zero rings. Yeah, somehow. Because he, he was on the Royals losing team in the World Series. And his primary job, he wasn't even on the postseason roster. Yeah. His primary job appeared to be doing interviews with Joe Buck during the game. Um, so that Ned Yost did not have to. Yeah. And, and maybe that 
tells us what we should be looking for from Raul in the future. But he and and I think Raul did uh, some broadcasting last year's World Series. But what I'm getting at is maybe Raul has a future as a manager. Seems like he's been talked about in, in a couple. Seems of like the kind of guy and who, just hasn't uh, gotten it yet. Yeah. He, but you know, you you hear him talk and uh, and you hear other you hear players talk about him, guys who played with him, particularly on the, that Royals team that lost, and about uh, how much respect they have for him. I mean, you know, the guy played for twenty something years. It's not you know he's not some no joke dude, but uh, you really feel like Abanez maybe is when the next wave of ex-players comes in that somebody's going to give him a call. Maybe the Mariners. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know who, who's managing the Mariners now. Scott Service took over this year. Yeah, well, well, they'll probably give him a couple of years, but uh, I guess we're all a chance. Hmm. I'm sure he's beloved in Seattle, right? I don't see why he wouldn't be. <laughs> it, feels, it feels like, yeah, there's no reason for them to dislike him. He came. He left and came back. Yeah, and he was again. great. You know, he's a great, great. Was a great, great player. Obviously, was very, very good at times. Uh, looking at some of these numbers, he had he had some uh, good years. Where is the average on here? Yeah, he hit two ninety about every year. His batting averages are surprisingly consistent. That's amazing. He was never traded. Well, that's for a guy who played that long is pretty uh, pretty incredible. Yeah, to the, the Mariners, to the Royals, back to the Mariners, to the Phillies, to the Yankees, to the Mariners, to the Angels, and then the oh, Angels had... released him in 2014, and he signed on with the Royals about nine days later, and uh, that was it. I, I do not remember zero trades. I do not remember Raul Abanez, California Angel. It was, uh, that's because he was Raul Abanez, Los Angeles Angel of Anaheim, and and he hit 157 in 57 games in 2014. That's that's not good. Which was why the the Royals wound up with him, and he hit, you know, a robust 188 with two homers for the the eventual American League champions. But he he did take uh, the heat off. Ned Yost having to talk to Joe Buck. Yes, and that's important. So I, I hope he got a share. Uh, I'm sure he did. Sure he did. Like I said, the the way he was talked about by those guys, I I feel like he and Bruce Chin both got their share. Both both beloved fellows. Really, Bruce Chin's role uh, with the Royals was to do the translation for your Dono Ventura there at the very end, and to beat the White Sox. I don't know if you've ever talked to a White Sox fan about Bruce Chin, but you might as well be talking about Cy Young. Uh, I think Bruce Chin's career record against the White Sox is like 35-0 and 0 with like a .89 ERA or something. I'm not going to look that up. I'm just going to accept that as fact. It, 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 just really, next time you, you meet a White Sox fan who has any sort of commitment to the team, ask them about Bruce Chin, and they will explode into either a fit of rage or tears. Uh, <laughs> Bruce Chen has ruined the Chicago White Sox many, many times. Somehow. I think that that is where we can put a stop to talking about baseball for this, <laughs> well, uh, this particular all podcast. The, 
all the White Sox fans have turned turned us off because yes. I mentioned but his name. But we are not done talking because I, I've sent you two other cards here. You have I said yes. before a baseball card podcast. It's not about baseball cards, and today not entirely about baseball because we we also uh, being the Nashvilleian. Is that the correct demonym? Nashvilleian, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Look at me. Put that one together uh, through logic. Being the Nashvilleian that you are, um, you know, we got to talk Predators, right? Yeah. Um, so uh, I sent you a Pekka Rene card. Yes. From 2010-11 when uh, I bought hockey cards for the first time in many years. Um, I, I hadn't bought hockey cards, I think, since the mid-90s. And then when I became a full-time hockey writer, I decided... I'm going to buy some hockey cards and just sort of uh, refresh myself a little bit because I had followed hockey and, uh, you know, I, I hadn't, it, it wasn't my number one sport. I think I'd been, you know, became that for sure um, in the time that I was writing about it and I love it and still do. Um, but yeah, that's how I came across a, a Pekka Rene card and had that in the collection and now, uh, now you have it. So let's... Uh, how, how do you feel about dear old Pekka Rene? Oh, yeah. <laughs> this Pekka Rene is, uh, uh, you hate as a Nashvilleian to say anything bad about him for a lot of reasons. One is that he is the, like, nicest human being in the world. He, he always is willing to talk to us in the media, always... At, even after bad games is always take all your questions and always, you know, not necessarily upbeat, but he's, you know, he's not surly. Um, just, just really nice. And so many times has come back from injury and been good. And particularly in some years and and this is card is from Oh nine Oh nine ten. So really in the years kind of after that, starting with maybe 11, 12, they're about a three or four year period was very, very good. Yeah. Um, basically and, the time that I was covering the NHL, he was one of I mean, the top five goalies in the league. Yeah. And, and not just in the conversation for the Vesna for the best goalie, but in the conversation several times for, for league MVP really, yes. uh, and deservedly and, so. Yeah. Because at the time, of course the, the predators could not score, uh, and it, uh, it was a matter of getting two goals, and then that's all you needed to do. Um, in the meantime, <laughs> Pecorino is uh, now in year something of some kind of deal that is, I think, until he's 80. Um, he uh, got hurt, um, had surgery. This would have, I think this was in the lockout year. Uh then got a E. coli infection in the hip that was repaired. Uh, has never really been the same. Has been has been good at times, but it's not the same yeah. uh, as it was. Where he was a guy that you know you would get a two zero or two one lead and just let him get pummeled, and he would you know stop everything. And the the glove, you you I joked about. White Sox fans having to, you know, shuddering at the thought of Bruce Chen, mm-hmm. Vancouver Canucks fans at Rene's glove hand. Um, 
<laughs> we'll still talk about that series and uh, see what no. year was that a couple of years ago, but uh, when he really kept the Preds in the series against Vancouver, yeah. who would go on and lose the Stanley Cup to Boston, but uh, that was 2011. Yeah, he, um, you know, it, it just isn't the same. I mean, the guy's 33 years old too, so some of that is some of that, but. For a guy who was drafted in a round that no longer exists uh, in the NHL draft, he has had a pretty good career. The problem is that there's so much money tied up in him. There's not really a place for the Predators to move elsewhere. Uh, and and it, David Poyle doesn't make a lot of missteps, but in this one he didn't really draft someone that if things went sideways for Rene that they could accelerate like, like the pins did with Matt Murray this year, or, yeah. or, you know, we've seen so many other times with so many other teams. Uh, but you know, the draft's coming up next week and maybe he'll find somebody in the seventh round. <laughs> that is that guy. But you know, goalies are weird. Goalies and, uh, are weird. And, yeah. And just as far as, cause that's, if you're the predators, you couldn't much the same way you had to match the Shea Weber offer sheet. Mm-hmm. You could not sign Pecorino to the long-term deal. Right. Um, Does this, and and I'll just bring this back to baseball, does this concern you as a Royals fan with Alex Gordon? (sighs) A little bit. (laughs) I mean, yeah, especially since he's, I think he's starting his rehab this weekend uh, in lovely northwest Arkansas. Um. Yeah, you do worry, but you. But the the converse of that is, first of all, how are you going to predict that? How are you going to predict that the injury? And, yeah. And, yeah. And with Rene, he was a guy who did not have an injury history. Before that, he's a workhorse guy. Um, and maybe that's why he's being injured now is because he was playing seventy or seventy five games a year. Um. It, it's also not the kind of thing you you can worry about. I mean, it just. You know, you've got to do what you got to do, and yeah. if you you've got to send a message, and where the predators were when Rene resigned and when Weber was matched, with sort of their standing in the league and what they were trying to to tell those of us in Nashville about the long term prospects of the franchise, they they didn't have a choice. Uh, will they regret it down the road? Maybe, but if you don't do those things then, then there is no down the road to worry about. Um, because people in your own town will not take you seriously. Um, and nobody now talks about that as being a team that's... Yeah, in, well, no. no uh, that, hasn't, that hasn't been talked for two or three years now, and you know they're, they're saying all 41 home games are going to sell out next year, and it's just not a conversation we have anymore, whereas... I remember times where, you know, Predators fans could do the running paid attendance average in their head after it was announced at the game because there were certain stipulations in the lease that they had to stay above, uh, you know, I think it was 12,000 or something. But, uh, you know, I mean, there are people who maintain spreadsheets to make sure that the the average was staying above that. And, you know, but nowadays, I think the worst intended game I, I went to this year was, you know, 15-5 Fifteen five or something against the Islanders, and it was snowing. I mean, uh, you know. So, 
all of that is a reflection of the steps that were made of committing to a guy who was one of the top three or four goalies in the league at the time and committing to a guy who was one of the top three or four defensemen in the league at the time, whether or not they are now, it doesn't matter because if you don't make that commitment, then they're probably playing for Hamilton. Um, so, yeah, the deal stings, but I, I think it was probably the right thing to do. Well, there you go. And you still have a hockey team to continue to watch and enjoy, and those suckers in Hamilton do not. Ha-ha. Ha-ha. Nothing against you, Hamilton, Ontario. I'm sure you're a great place that I have driven through once on the way to <coughs> Buffalo and Toronto. It was dark, and I have no idea what was there. So, uh, yeah. Well, you made it, so couldn't yeah. be too bad. Sure, my car did not break down on that drive between Buffalo and Toronto. I guess I've been through Hamilton another time because I once took the bus from Buffalo to Toronto. So there's that, too. Wow. Did that take, like, a long time? No, it really didn't. Again, I have no concept of distance. It's... Anything above Cincinnati, so... Yeah, Buffalo to Toronto is uh, just a couple hours. I, I Depends also feel on like, customs. Yeah. I also feel like Canada... Everything in Canada is really far apart. Like I, I, in my brain, I see Canada as only the cities with hockey teams, and I know that that's wrong of me to think of. But when you look at it on a map, it's like just it seems like well, tens of thousands of miles. You know, yeah. <laughs> I mean, no, I mean uh, Ontario stretches from you know on top of Minnesota to New York. Right. That's a long way. Sure. Um. You know, the entire Sudbury Thunder Bay Metroplex is uh, contained in <laughs> that. So massive, yeah. the massive Metroplex. Yeah, it's huge. I think the other thing, Canada also seems so much bigger because you get those. Uh, Cartesian is not the word. Oh, the the exaggeration. Yeah, at the top of the map. Yeah, Cartesian uh, is coordinates. The the map. It's the Mercator. Projection, but yeah, that stretches towards the poles. Yes, yeah, makes Mercator, it, yeah, yeah. Mercator was a uh, <clears throat> a merchant of some description, and his goal was to make distances east and west seem shorter. Uh, and of course, like it's easier straight lines east and west when you're sailing from Europe to America and back and forth. Um. But north and south did not matter as much, so it stretches pretty bad on the poles, uh, which is why like Greenland is the size of Africa on a Mercator projection. Yeah, and and Canada for its part is truly quite north. large. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah we, we we're not saying Canada is small or anything, but it looks bigger even than uh, than it actually is. All right, uh, so we're we're just about rapid hop here, but we got one more thing to talk about. You mentioned uh, before, by the time that this podcast drops, we will know who the Money in the Bank winner is, and we will know you know we'll know a lot of things that happened uh, on in the wrestling circuit. We'll know what happened on Monday Night Raw as well because it's a Tuesday show. Yeah, uh, it's a Tuesday great. Tuesday podcast. I'm sure it'll be excellent. I, I love Fallout shows. Oh, they're always uh, fun. 
Because a lot of the time they also just decide, yeah, what happened didn't really happen. Mm-hmm. Well, the WrestleMania Fallout show this year is a great example of that. Yeah. Shane McMahon jumped off the top of a steel cage uh, onto The Undertaker for what was apparently no reason at all. Um, Which is great. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's fine. So what we do know here on Saturday is that we don't know uh, for sure with any kind of certainty that the the guy pictured on this card that I sent you, Goldust, will not be the WWE champion because you know there's always a non-zero chance that they will stick him into the Money in the Bank match at the last minute, that he will then win Money in the Bank with the help of R-Truth, I assume, because it's a ladder match and a no-DQ Situation, and that's how they pay off that long running angle. And then, uh, so as you hear this on Tuesday, clearly you are talking about a WWE champion Goldust because he has uh, cashed in <laughs> on Monday Night Raw. Or maybe which is he cashes in when they'd have him do it. Maybe, no, right, that he wouldn't cash in during the main event against Seth Rollins and Roman Reigns and then uh, go over Seth Rollins and Roman Reigns in the main event. Um, uh, I, first of all, I want to say I love Money in the Bank. Sure. Um, and I wrote about this uh, on the scene. I, I write a wrestling column every week on the scene's arts and culture blog, of course, uh, Country Life. But uh, of the of the two sort of big gimmick pay-per-views, Money in the Bank and Royal Rumble. And, we, and this gold dust card, I believe he is pictured at Royal Rumble. It look it. This looks like I am running out to, at Royal Rumble. There's it, a number ten behind him. Oh yeah, so so there is. I thought this was maybe like an anniversary card or something, but uh, both both matches give you a chance at the at the the championship. Yes. The difference is coming out of Royal Rumble, you you know, sort of the arc, right? So. Come out of Royal Rumble. The guy who wins Royal Rumble is going to wrestle in the main event at WrestleMania for the title. Uh, so that's like that's anticipation. What you get after Money in the Bank, where the man who wins the briefcase has a year to cash in the contract in the briefcase at any time, <laughs> anywhere, is anxiety. Uh, it, it's two different ways of telling maybe the same story, but um, Gold Dust is not. <laughs> we don't think going to be in the match, but I like I looking back. I, I feel like first of all, Money in the Bank feels like it's been around a lot longer than it has. I think this is only the tenth one. Um, you feel like peak gold dust, and you're. I say this because I know that you are a fan of gold dust. I oh, I love like, it. Let me send you a wrestler. I, I'm aware <laughs> that gold dust is like your guy more yeah. than. Anybody else I know, <laughs> you're but, into gold dust. Yeah, uh, it, if you take Pete Goldust, late '90s like Attitude Era gold dust, and had given him the Money in the Bank briefcase, it would have been amazing because he already freaked everybody out, and now he's going to freak you out with a chance of taking your title anytime he wants. Uh, what I was thinking about was I was getting ready for this today, this afternoon. And I was thinking about Gold Dust and, and what do you say about uh, about Dustin Runnels, who, the man who who has been Gold Dust for a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, he is 
obviously a guy who knows the business well. He is the son of, of Dusty Rhodes, the American Dream, who I, I learned ask people to call him Dream, like, you know, in real life, like around, like people that he Just, met. I'm My name is Dustin, my name is Virgil Reynolds, but you can call me Dream. Oh, okay. Sure. Yeah, and if you, if you were Dusty Rhodes, you, you would also yeah, and you would also ask people to call you Dream. Um, but uh, uh, he has been the Gold Dust character who came on the scene with these weird, like Hollywood Golden Age vignettes uh, in the '90s in the Attitude Era when you know everything was sort of hypersexual. It was all id, really, even more so than pro wrestling usually is. Uh, in the '90s, you're talking about, you know, Val Venus and uh, Jenna Jameson in a shower, and then it's a, Val Venus is like a a character that existed is yeah. mind boggling. <laughs> yes, and then you have Goldust, who comes in and is wearing like this blonde glamour wig, and uh, was I thought like. He he was over the top, and yet it was, it was subtle, in the same at the same time. Like it was it was subversive of the subversion that was taking place. He was like an anti DX, you know. Like he he took the the idea that, uh, of of sort of that DX attitude era, you know, those those guys, very explicitly saying suck it. And and he was somehow worse because he wouldn't say that, even though that's what he was implying. Yeah. I, it, um, he freaked out the people who were supposed to freak out your parents. Um, and what's amazing about Goldust is that it's been around so long. It's not, you know, he, he has obviously played much more for comedy now. Um you know, he he and R Truth. I think probably the longest running angle currently <laughs> in pro wrestling. I Which think is amazing. I think it's been going on for eight or nine months. Um, but yeah, no, Goldust bridges the gap of the last time that I watched wrestling like on a regular basis, which was probably for about a year's worth of, of college um, until uh, about the last year and a half that I've been back into it. And, yeah, and he's still there. And and he bridges that gap. So, yeah. And, and what's amazing, and we talk about this, his his brother, who Cody Rhodes, who was mm-hmm. lastly with Stardust, uh, Cody was probably a better worker, uh, which is not to take anything away from Goldust, who, who is excellent in the ring and does exactly what you want him to do all the time, even now as he's gotten a little older and paunchier. But they can never find a gimmick to work for Cody, and yet his brother has had the same gimmick for, you know, for 30 years, and nobody's like, <clears throat> I'm just tired of it. Like, nobody's asking for Goldust to move on to something else. It's like, it's Goldust. We're happy it's Goldust, and, uh, you know, just keep being Goldust until you're done. Which it seemed like it was going to happen, and and then didn't. Yeah, I yeah, I don't know, I don't know, and uh, <laughs> I, I'm really enjoying 
I, I have to say, I enjoy the Golden Truth. Uh, they, I, I think yeah. it's, I think it's very funny, and I, I and, do and it, for, for me, like the sillier and more ridiculous you're going to be in pro wrestling, the better I'm going to enjoy it. Right, and they they put them in this program with uh, with Tyler Breeze and Fandango. <laughs> Who are also both absurd. Uh, so just wonderful. Yeah, and uh, last week Tyler Breeze is out there shaving Fantanko's back. Like, come yeah, on. <laughs> this is great. That's very much a sort of a throwback to to the circusy nature of of maybe the eighties. Yeah, where you know, in the main event program nowadays, you have. Reigns and Rollins and and Cena and Styles and these, the stories they're telling are you know, pretty dark and cerebral. I mean, you know, they're they're quote real stories about betrayal and all this other stuff. And then, eh, and on the other hand, you got uh, you got Breezy shaving Fandango's back, and Ron Killens improvising a rap about Goldust and Goldust trying to dance, and you know. I mean, you have to have that as well <laughs> when you watch a three- or four-hour wrestling show. Yes. So, gold dust to you. Hanging in there. With the same character, just tweaked a mm. little bit from what it was at the time. And I would say, JR, to you, thank you so much for having spent this past more than an hour talking about baseball and hockey and intercontinental champions in both baseball and wrestling and a little bit of NFL mixed in there. Um, we talked NBA, too. I think we got we them did. all. Yeah, we, we hit all the majors. We hit soccer as well. Uh, like Goldust, like by the way, was, of course, an intercontinental champion several times. Of course he was, and that, <laughs> that ties it all back together. And we can say for soccer, uh, this, this comes out on Tuesday, uh, big game Tuesday night, go USA. Uh, I assume Argentina won that game that the America will be playing Argentina. Is that right? Indeed, yes. Argentina uh, dismantled Venezuela. Here at the end of your hour-and-a-half-long podcast on Tuesday, you are now getting the result for Saturday's uh, soccer contest. Uh, (laughs) USA, Argentina, Tuesday. If you're listening to this after Tuesday, well, we're even further in the future than we thought you would be, so... Enjoy that, and uh, you can find Jr. on on the Twitter machine at uh, Jr. Lind. I didn't ask you before anywhere else that uh, you could be found, but Nashville scene, Nashville Post. Uh, is there anywhere else? No, I think I think at the moment okay. that's pretty much it. Yeah. All right. Okay. Okay. So that is also pretty much it for uh, for this show. That is the full stack, and I say thank you very much to Jr. Lind, and we'll see you next time.